0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It's titled Connecting Continuous Improvement to the Bottom Line. I'm Mark Rabin, the host today. I'm a senior advisor with Kinexus. I'm going to be assisted during the Q&A by Chris Burnham. He's a senior director of lean strategy for Kinexus. And most importantly, our presenter today is Nick Katko. Um, I will tell you more about him and, and his books. So he is the president and owner of the firm BMA. Since 2002, he's leveraged his lean accounting experience and philosophy to assist BMA clients in developing, leading, and coaching them in their lean transformations. He served a range of organizations worldwide, different industries, different sizes, manufacturing, healthcare, software, engineering, services, and more. So that kind of sounds like our uh, Connexus user base. He was an early pioneer of lean accounting. In the '90s, he was the chief financial officer of the company Bullard. He implemented a complete lean management accounting system as part of their lean transformation, which included eliminating the practice of standard costing. He's a regular speaker at events and conferences. Um, he's written extensively on lean accounting, and again, um, the Lean CFO Second Edition is available uh, for pre-order now. If you're not the recipient of uh, the copy, the copies that we're giving away today. Um, So with that, Nick, let me turn it over to you for the presentation. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Mark and uh, Chris. Thanks for letting
1: me, uh, allowing me to give this presentation. For those of you who are not familiar with the term lean accounting, uh, it it has less to do with the accounting function. And really, it has more to do with the title of the webinar, Connecting Continuous Improvement to the Bottom Line. And um, sort of the whole genesis of lean accounting, going back to the late 80s, early 90s, when I was the CFO and Gene Cunningham and Ori Fumi were CFOs and Jerry Solomon were CFOs. What we all sort of did is realize that as our companies were going through lean transformations, that we had to do something to improve the information inside the business to be aligned with lean thinking and continuous improvement. And that that sort of spurred the phrase lean accounting. That's all I'm going to tell you about the history. Let's talk about what we're going to uh, go over today. First, I want to explain how lean works financially. I call this the economics of lean. We have, there's lots of information books and how lean works operationally and all the tools and practices, but in order to be able to connect continuous improvement to the bottom line, you got to know how it works financially, which is, I want to say it's different than traditional financial thinking. Okay. And I'll explain in a minute. Then talk about the box score, which is a tool to understand the relationships between operating performance and financial performance in a, in a lean company. I'm going to talk about uh, lean cost management. You know, there, there's always a, in any business, you know, companies want to manage their costs. And there's lots of sort of traditional or conventional ways that that is done. And, um, If you understand how lean works and how it can manage your costs, then it makes life a whole lot easier. (laughs) Excuse me. Then I'm going to give you some examples. How do you use box scores to measure continuous improvement? Spend a couple minutes on looking at conventional financial analysis and continuous improvement And I I really just want to explain briefly sort of how they need to, if you sort of use, I don't want to say this. It's not about the conventional financial analysis or bad, but you sort of have to adapt them to a lean environment to work. Then we'll wrap up and do some questions. So. We're going to talk about numbers. We're going to, you know, we talk about the bottom. Anytime you bring up bottom line, it's all you know, everybody puts dollar signs or monetary signs in their head. But what I learned over the years, and I always thought it was just about the numbers, but it's really about thinking habits. And and what I mean by this, if you've been involved in any kind of analytical practice. It doesn't matter if it's operational or financial. You you use numbers. The numbers drive thinking. And then the thinking drives different behaviors. And you make decisions. And then the decisions that you make change the numbers. And then it just keeps this cycle going. So here's the issue. You have people who typically management level people who have been making doing certain types of analysis and making decisions for a while using certain numbers now we we put lean thinking and lean practices and continuous improvement in place and people get comfortable with the numbers they use and they want to use the same numbers to do the analysis. The problem is some of the numbers that they use may not be applicable in a continuous improvement environment. Or the numbers could drive sort of non-lean behavior. So that's the challenge, really, in, in connecting continuous improvement to the bottom to the bottom line, is it's thinking habits in companies. OK, and you'll see what I mean as we go through this, because I'm going to give you some examples. So how does lean work financially? I call this the economics of lean. I'm I'm starting off with this only because I think it's really, really important that this, how lean works financially is well understood in an organization the same way you you still have it doesn't matter whether it's a large company or a small company you sort of have these functional views of numbers and things like that but all the way from senior leaders down to line managers we all everyone in a lean company that is practicing continuous improvement needs to understand this and it's and it's not complicated but they just need to understand it first Continuous improvement when you, when you improve, the primary, the primary, but not the sole, the primary result of any one improvement activity or a series of improvement activities is creating capacity. Or another way to say it is, creating time. Why is that? Well, what does continuous improvement do? you eliminate waste. So you're eliminate, you're stopping an activity from occurring. So that means that time becomes available. Now, yes, we'll talk about some cost impacts and things like that, but this is the primary output. And what you do with that capacity really determines the true financial benefit. So what can you do with the capacity? you can serve customers better deliver value. you can also over time use that capacity to achieve cost reduction and again, you know that is what creates the sustainable financial success. So let me give you an example of how I learned this back in my in the 1990s when I'm CFO at Bullard So, we set continuous improvement targets. We had performance measures in place, and we said, on average, we want to improve 20% a year. And what we realized is that if we're going to improve 20% a year, we have to sort of fill up that pipeline. And what? So, then the marching orders for sales was you need to grow sales by 20%. So, because you're paying for the capacity your people and your machines Okay, you're paying for. them, And how are you going to use their time? This is the reason why, you know, people talk about lean being a time-based strategy. Okay. But we have to connect time to the bottom line. The only way you connect it to the bottom line is how you use that time. So then we talk about sort of the cause-effect relationships. And traditional financial thinking is, you know, we set financial targets and we sort of make, we we tell people they need to hit the targets. Best example of that is a budget. You better hit your budget. If you don't hit your budget, you got to explain why. But in continuous improvement and lean, we want to sort of reverse that. Meaning the cause of improved financial, I'm sorry, financial improved financial performance is the effect, the cause or causes, improved operating performance, and improved capacity usage. Another way that I, I state this sometimes when I'm working with companies, if you want to change the financials, you got to change the physical. It's very difficult to do the like the financial engineering where you set these targets and say, this has to happen financially, figure out how to do it. You might gain some short-term benefit there, but in the long term, you're not really changing anything. So again, cause and effect. The other aspect is how lean drives financial performance. And there's basically six outcomes. You can increase sales without increasing your fixed costs. That's the idea of having that capacity and, and producing and selling more. You get the revenue, you get the contribution margin, but your costs don't increase. You can reduce your fixed costs as a percentage of sales. And we'll talk about this a little more later, but you know, labor, your full-time employees, that's a fixed cost. That's not a variable cost. So if you are improving and creating capacity and not having to hire people, for example, your, your labor costs as a percentage of sales will go down. You there might be opportunities to reduce variable cost and improve contribution margin. As I mentioned already a few times, you can increase capacity without paying for it. That's the beauty of continuous improvement. You can improve performance and increase capacity. You can improve cash flow. You know, the best example of improving cash flow is from manufacturing where lean thinking drives down your inventory and you have more cash. So you think about this as sort of like the six possible outcomes of continuous improvement. So how do we measure this? This is the idea of the box score, and um, you know we we developed box score years ago, and it really embeds the economics of lean and. You use it as a tool to drive thinking in terms of analysis and decision-making. It gives visibility and insight. There's three components. What are the value stream, what are the performance measurements, lean performance measurements that will measure operating performance improvement. We look at what we call a value stream income statement. How much revenue and is a value stream generating? What are the actual costs? Now, I realize certain value streams in certain industries may not generate revenue, but they still have costs. And then the third piece is capacity. We talked about how much capacity are we creating? So you can see that you know this, is, this becomes a tool to use to drive the thinking and to connect continuous improvement to the bottom line. So brief review, okay. Lean, you know, basic lean performance measurements. If you're involved in continuous improvement, or and or lean, you have a lot of familiarity with these. But I'm not going to go over them in a lot of detail. But it's it's the combination of measurements that measure deliver improvements in delivery, quality, lead time, productivity, cost, safety, and morale, and that lean operating practices and continuous improvement activities will make all these categories of measurements positive over time. Now, capacity, this is sort of like the new animal in terms of numbers. And again, think about lean as a time-based strategy. So if We want to measure improvement, the measurable impact of improvement. It's really important to be able to measure capacity. And we want to, and this is not what are the capabilities of the process. There's sort of like ERP systems that can measure um, how much availability you have. It's not about that, it's looking at it from a lean viewpoint. So, how much time on average do we spend on? creating value. That's productive capacity. How much time do we spend on everything else, which is non-productive? And then how much are we creating because of improvements? I mean, if you're going to do continuous improvement activities and you're creating time, you want to be able to say, this is how much we're creating. And then if you look at the whole basket of improvement activities over a company uh, throughout a company this becomes a a very strategic number because senior leaders need to have a plan what are we going to do with that goes back to that example of creating 20% improving 20% and saying we're going to sell 20% more so It's really important to be able to measure this. Now, you'll see the link at the end of the webinar. I I have a whole recorded webinar that I did last year on capacity. If you're interested in learning more, I could spend the whole hour on it, but don't have time. Then there's the value stream income statement. Now, this is an internal management tool. Okay, It's not... It it serves as a basis for financial reporting, but it's not something that outsiders see. And all we're really redoing here is reorganizing your income statement by value stream. Okay, What are the value streams? What's the revenue? What are the actual costs of the value stream? And these are the actual costs for the period. We separate out all non-value stream costs. We don't want to do cost allocations and things like that. We want to generate a value stream operating profit. And then in order to reconcile to our regular income statement, we have to do some accounting gyrations there. But the real number, and real important number there are the value stream profit numbers. So now with the box score, you can do these connections and understand the relationships. All right, so there's the fundamentals. Now let's look at cost management. And think about this as a series of practices, okay? Again, I'm giving you a a high overview of this. Uh, There's a lot of cost management practices in companies. The best one, as I mentioned, is the budget. But there's lots of there, I, I companies sometimes I think are overly obsessed with how they how many ways they look at costs. You have cost allocation systems, you can slice, you know, cost per cut cost, profitability per customer, profitability per, by market, profitability by business line. There's just all kinds of ways to slice and dice this. But how does lean make this job easier. First, we want to define costs. What's variable and what's fixed? So a variable cost changes directly with short-term volume changes. So in manufacturing, that's your material. You sell one more item, you incur that material cost. If you don't, if you sell fewer items, You incur incur fewer material costs. That's variable. Fixed costs, they don't change. They don't vary with short-term volume changes, and they are influenced by management decisions. The best example, as I mentioned, is your full-time labor force. That cost is fixed. You pay those people a certain amount to come in every day and work no matter what they do, all right? And and you decide to hire people, you decide not to replace people. So there's a management decision that's made. And in lean thinking, more costs are considered fixed in lean organizations. Now, this is counter to a lot of conventional Cost allocation systems. So, for example, a, a a product cost in manufacturing or a cost per patient in healthcare. What that cost allocation method does is it takes fixed costs and makes them appear to be variable cost per patient. Okay, most of your costs in healthcare are fixed, so you try to re, you know. If you're looking at cost per patient, it's really hard to change the numerator because your costs are fixed. Now, the denominator, if you can see more patients, then that will drive cost per patient down. But people don't think this way, they think that all the costs are variable. So we want to define costs properly. The other important thing is to how understand how lean achieves cost reduction and how continuous improvement does one actual cost savings okay that means you see in the short term spent you know your expenses go down then there's cost avoidance which means well we might not increase costs in the future Then when you start connecting this back to continuous improvement and capacity, creating capacity, there's more cost avoidance than cost savings. And I know a lot of companies like to to monetize time savings, where they say, we save this much time, so therefore we're going to put a dollar sign in front of it and say, this is how much we saved. But, you know, you, you don't see that in the short term. Now, in the long term, you may see it because of this, the way you measure. Okay, that's why I emphasize fixed costs and measuring it as a percentage of sales, because the fixed cost will not increase at the same rate that your sales does. Now, if you have variable costs, you can look at contribution margin which is sales less direct costs i i strongly suggest that you avoid using a cost allocation method to try to measure improvement and you have to be very careful when you're using the external financial statements so these are the ones that get reported to shareholders and owners and they're compliant with generally accepted accounting principles the the problem there is that and i'm i'm a former cfo i'm still a practicing certified public accountant um you know what accounting needs to do to make the financial statements compliant for external reporting purposes it can sometimes mask what is really going on with costs. So that's why it's important to have a proper lean performance measure of cost reduction over time. So let's just look at labor as an example. If you think about the drivers of cost, there is a variable Component of labor cost. That's your overtime. That's any temporaries, contract labor. You think of overtime, you have to relate labor to capacity. Overtime, you are paying for temporary capacities. So again, why do you have overtime? If you can create more capacity, you can possibly eliminate the overtime. That will achieve a short-term cost reduction. Your fixed cost, full-time employees, That's look at that as your permanent capacity, okay? And again, if you need more capacity, you're going to hire people. But the, the shift in thinking is that your labor cost is how much you're paying for capacity. Capacity requirements is based on the demand and the level of waste in the process. So you could hire people, or you could improve, eliminate waste, and not hire people. What's better? Now, if you're involved in continuous improvement and lean, you want, you know the answer to that question. But you, you think about labor cost. And the traditional thinking, it is an expense. In many companies, it's the largest expense. So what do you try to do in conventional financial thinking? You want to you know, control and reduce your expenses. But from a lean viewpoint, your people are the most important asset. Okay? They're a resource besides doing the work the people are going to do the thinking they're going to do the problem solving they're going to do the continuous improvement that's not going to be done by any kind of software system or reading a book it's about people solving problems so therefore you you, you really have to get the company to stop thinking about how many people do we have and how much is it costing us and think about how are we using are our, our people's time. And you know what? It's not their fault that there's a lot of waste in the process. And they probably know it, and they probably can eliminate it if we give them the tools and practices and authority to do so. So how do you, what are ways to achieve labor cost reduction? So here's some actual savings. You know, reduce the overtime. When people leave, don't replace them. You have capacity, other people can get the work done. You can promote internally, backfill in a lower paid position. If you outsource operations because you don't have the capacity, you might be able to bring it in. I've seen comp- all comp- companies do all of those. In fact, when I was the CFO at Bullard, we applied lean thinking and continuous improvement in the accounting function. And over the course of a few years, we reduced our staff by about 40%. And we were a smaller family-owned company, but we reduced our our staff by 40%. Some people left. We just didn't replace them. And this was a team decision. It wasn't me saying, we're not going to do this. The first thing we thought of as a team is, Could we get this done? A couple of people in accounting then applied for other jobs in the company. And again, we didn't replace them. Cost avoidance. So, you know, if you have capacity in this value stream, you don't have capacity in another value stream, you can move people. You can do cross training and give people more skills and ability to do more work. And then if you have temporary available capacity, assign them to temporary assignments. Well, that's how lean cost management works. So let's talk about measuring continuous improvement. I'm going to give you some examples. OK, and I'm going to sort of talk about this through the box score. OK, OK. Uh, I'd like to thank Mark for giving me some of these. I asked Mark, I said, hey, can you give me some examples of continuous improvement that I could use that are, you know, that may have been used by some of the uh, listeners? All right. So let's look at sort of what happens over the course of time. You make a few improvements where you're improving delivery, quality, and flow. So your on-time shipments get better, your quality number first time through gets better, your flow, your days of inventory, the dock-to-dock days is reduced. All good stuff. With a box score, if you're looking at actual costs, you can calculate what is the direct financial impact of these events. Now, in this case, the material cost goes down. Why? Less inventory, that means less material. Better quality means less material, less scrap. Again, direct financial impact. But the real benefit of, of using a box score is hey, we've done these three improvement events and we've basically doubled the available capacity of the people and the machines. The employee capacity went, available capacity went from 19% to 37%. Machines went from 15 to 29%. That is, that's the direct measurable impact of these events. It's all quantified. Then the question becomes, going back to the economics of lean, what can we do with that capacity? So what this company did is they realized that they could increase sales. They had the demand out there. So what's the impact there? Well, revenue goes up. The material costs go up because it's variable our conversion costs which are our production costs they stay the same in fact they went down a little bit only cuz we can cut out some overtime value stream profit goes from 104,000 a month to over 172,000 a month or from 31% to 40% you know and this is this is the benefit of continuous improvement, especially when you can use any of the created capacity to sell more. You generate revenue, your variable costs go up, your fixed costs don't go up. So the incremental profit is a whole lot greater. It's basically your contribution margin. And then if you look up top, you can see the performance measures even get better. So now I'm going to give you a couple other examples. And this is more, I don't really have numbers here. This is more about thinking and using the box score to how to think through it. And I've sort of just did this on my own. Uh, if If you went through this exercise, you might think a little differently than I do. So this is an improvement event in 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 healthcare, where the surgical instrument flow from the operating rooms to the instrument process and back was reduced from ten point six hours to three point six hours. So seven hours were picked up. So what's the impact of that improvement event? Well, productivity is going to go up. It's going to get better. The lead or the process time is going to get better. You're going to eliminate some nonproductive capacity and pick up available capacity. And in healthcare, especially in hospitals, you know, surgery, that's the primary profit center of a hospital. So if you can perform more surgeries, then the financial impact is going to be more revenue. You're going to incur more variable costs some of your other costs may go down but overall your profitability is going to go up and your productive capacity is going to go up so again you know you you use the box score to think this through change over time this is always one of my favorites because it has such a dramatic impact on operating performance and financial performance. So if you can reduce changeover time, in this example, from four hours to 15 minutes, what's the immediate benefit? You improve productivity, you improve delivery, you reduce your inventory, and you reduce your lead times, okay? Great benefit operationally. You also create a whole lot more capacity and then, if you can apply that capacity to sell more, you're going to generate much more contribution, much more value, much more profit. But again, you know, this is this is a very good example where you know you're saving uh, 3.75 hours per changeover if you say well you know 3.75 hours per changeover multiplied by some rate some machine rate or something you know this is how much we're saving in cost that is a that is understating the true financial benefit the true financial benefit of reducing changeover time is contribution margin which is more than reducing costs same thing with quality Improving installing an error proofing machine. It reduces the defect rate from 2.7% to zero. What's the impact? As you can see, we have positive impact in all performance measurements. And we're creating more capacity. Why? Every defect you make consumes time. Fewer defects, you have more time. How would that impact financially? Well, if you can't sell anymore, your variable costs will go down. You'll have less material cost. So you will see some benefit. Now, again, much like the changeover example, if you can increase if you can sell more with that if you can if you can sell more and use that capacity, then you'll pick up revenue. A point I want to make here is, you know, you, you can look at one improvement event in isolation, and you might not be able, the, the total financial benefit may not be clear, but if you look at all of the benefits and how much capacity is being created, that's when you really see the financial impact. So here's a here's a final one. You know, getting wireless headsets and customer service. It improves the ergonomics and sat, staff satisfaction. Also, shorter hold times for customers. So what do you get out of that? Improved productivity, safety, and morale. Okay. That's and, and you know, is there a financial benefit? I don't know. You know, sometimes these are difficult, these are hard to figure out. But you, but if you have a box score, you can go through it. Now, what I would say here is in the short term, there may not be any financial benefit. But in the long run, if shorter hold times for customers means customers are going to buy more, there could be a financial benefit. All right, just to wrap up here, then we'll get to questions you know when you look at some conventional analyses like return on investment net present value internal rate of return they're good they're good fundamentally sound tools but they all assume a cash outflow you know return on investment you spend some money you get a return what's the return it's a percentage you know payback period same thing But when continuous improvement is basically creating capacity, there's no cash outflow. All right? And you don't want to, and then even the, you know, what's the benefit? That's where you have to sort looking at the economics of lean to understand what the benefit is. I always like to say when it comes to continuous improvements, it should be return on effort rather than return on investment. I talked a little bit about cost allocations. OK, you know, they they basically allocate a fixed cost, avoid using short term impact on an income statement. OK, you know, you may not see it. And then monetizing time savings. OK, you know, when, when if you put a dollar sign in front of a number, people think, especially when it comes to. A biz, a company, people think, oh, I'm going to see that on the financial statements. It's sort of natural thinking, but it may not be. Okay, so that's why you know some companies do soft savings and stuff. Uh, you know, we talk about again capacity and time, and then what are you going to do with that time? So, you know, some practical advice. Your accounting people, your executives, they need to experience continuous improvement to understand what it is. They need to understand continuous improvement will lead to financial improvement, and it's not the other way around. Integrate the economics of lean and box scores into analysis and decision-making, and with continuous improvement, really distinguish between short-term and long-term short term impact must be actual must be realized long term you can see a lot of financial benefit through continuous improvement going back to the first slide you know the numbers drive the thinking you know we have the box score drives the thinking of understanding lean relationships the behavior pdca continuous improvement The decisions we're trying to improve economic value, it's not just about cutting costs. It's about growing revenue, improving contribution margin, increasing capacity, improving performance, improving cash flow. It's all of that. And any event that makes a positive impact on any of those outcomes is good. So. Before I turn it back to Mark, if you want to learn more, uh, first of all, I'll offer any of you a, a 30 minute chat about this webinar. Just email me if you have questions, you want to talk a little bit more, and that offer doesn't expire. Just email me and say, I attended the webinar, I'd like to talk. You can learn more about uh, lean accounting through our website. Uh, web, I do monthly webinars, blogs online courses and certification. In fact, I have a webinar tomorrow morning. YouTube channel, there's the link there. I record all of my webinars, post them on YouTube. So for example, if you're interested in capacity and want to learn more, there's a capacity webinar you can watch. And then, you know, Mark talked about the second edition of the Lean CFO. That's going to be uh, released in early February. I set up the book launch event online. It's uh, February 10th from 2 to 3 Eastern time. Registration is free.
0: There'll be specials on the books and things like that. And that's where you go to register. Future webinars. If this is your first time attending, thank you for being here. We'd love to have you join us. We do these monthly. You can register to get notified of future webinars at kinexus.com slash webinars. Our next webinar, registration will be open soon, is going to be February 23rd. The title, the, the topic is Habits and Continuous <coughs> Improvement. Uh, our CEO, Dr. Greg Jacobson, and our uh, customer marketing manager, Morgan Wright, are going to be presenting that February 23rd, 1 o'clock Eastern time. We also invite you to check out our webinars on demand library. You can find a big button on the Kenexus webinars page, or you can find our YouTube channel um, for all of that. And this one will be posted there as well. Next slide, please. We invite you to check out our blog at blog.kinexus.com. And then next slide. Also, please check out our podcast. You can find it at kinexus.com slash podcast, or you can search any of the major podcast apps or directories. The audio of today's session will be available in the podcast feed if you want to go back and listen again or share it with colleagues. And then we will go into Q&A. I mean, you can see Brian's email address and website there, maskell.com. And I am going to turn the Q&A over to Chris Burnham. Thanks for doing this, Chris.
2: Nick, thank you so much. Uh, this conversation webinar uh, was born out of Mark and I having a discussion at a Kinexus event talking about um, you know, how difficult and challenging it is sometimes for Uh, lean professionals and lean people to convert lean problems into business problems that executives in traditional operations and finance leadership can understand. And we have a whole bunch of questions that kind of uh, dive into that. And the first one I'm going to start out comes from Stephanie Hill. And she says, in practice, does the box score rely on leaders over value streams or versus by location? Well, we,
1: we recommend that box scores are, are, uh, posted or done by value stream because, uh, sort of, from a lean accounting viewpoint, value streams are your profit centers. If you think about that, what's the job of a value stream? You know, it receives an order and then it delivers on that order, and uh, there's going to be revenue and costs associated with it. So that's the way we look at it.
2: Okay. The next question we uh, had—it was really a comment from Dan that spurred a question—and that is another example of lean cash flow improvement in non-manufacturing is doing kaizen events around collection of delinquent accounts receivables. Um, What are your thoughts about doing this kind of work? It's
1: great. Uh, You know, one aspect—you know—I pretty much focused on the the management accounting side of lean accounting, but there's another whole practice area of of improving accounting processes and yes if you can if you can uh, improve the collection process you're going to improve cash flow and ideally if you can uh, prevent in, in terms of like accounts receivable if you can do everything right and the customer can do everything right, maybe you won't have any more collection problems.
2: There were a lot of questions that were similar, so I'm going to group them together here. And it was, how do you start the discussion with traditional finance departments to move from department-based income statement budget to a value stream-based income statements? Uh, Who owns the value stream budget if there's no owner of the value stream? Um. And does this require restructuring of the organization?
1: Oh, okay. So, let's do value streams first of all. Um, value, you know, sort of value streams. It's more of a lean thing than a lean accounting thing. Um, creating value streams, or, or understanding your value streams, and then managing your value streams does not necessarily require a complete restructure of the organization. Uh, what you really want to do is have, at a minimum, have strong value stream teams. Okay, that's that's number one. Um, I forgot the other part of the question.
2: <laughs> like, who owns that value stream budget if there's no owner of the value stream?
1: Well, somebody, somebody there has to be. A, a value stream manager or a team of people that that manage the value stream has to be i mean you can't create a value stream and not have it be managed by people yeah you know so you know the they, i always say the value stream team owns the the value stream box score and the value stream income statement but you know the, a value stream income statement really it can be influenced by sales and how much how many how many orders are being being brought in and things like that. So your value stream team is more than just operational. You would want finance represented you would want for example sales sales represented on the team
2: okay all right uh, this is a great one. How do you help managers and supervisors and executives move over move off of the Cost per blank, uh, which <laughs> yeah. seems like it's prevalent in a lot of organizations. Oh, yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing you have to do is introduce the new numbers and and demonstrate how they're used and how they lead to better decisions. OK, Most most people involved in continuous improvement and lean know that like a product cost is a bad number to use. They they sort of know that, and they don't like to use it. But it's very difficult to sort of go to accounting and say, "Oh, we got to stop using that." So this is what my webinar is about tomorrow. By the way, um, they have their reasons for using it, so you can't sort of just point fingers and say it's bad. So introduce them to the new numbers and the benefits, and then from there. It's really about in, in applying continuous improvement to how do we sort of de-emphasize the, the those cost allocations.
2: Okay. Um, you suggested. You mentioned that uh, general accepted accounting principles uh, adjusted numbers can cause problems. Obviously, you still need to report and and gap in some situations. Um, how do you manage gap numbers and then lean accounting numbers in the same space?
1: Well, if you have if you have box scores and value stream income statements, if you focus on improving the box score, it will show up in the externally reported financial statements. However, it may not show up immediately. That's the whole thing.
2: Okay. No, I, that's, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: And it's really, this is, this is one of the, uh, I think is one of the more important roles for accounting in, in, a lean company is that they they have to have that knowledge they have to understand box scores they have to understand what continuous improvement is doing they don't have to be experts in in how to do it but they need to be able to then interpret and they need to be able to say you know here's what's going to happen in the short term here's what might happen in the long term and that's where those analysis come in and that's where you know for example Accounting would say, "Okay, you know, okay, senior leaders, we're creating all this capacity. What are we going to do with it? I need to know so that I can do my financial model."
2: Okay, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but um, uh, Andrew asks: Are box scores a part of regular monthly management reports, or are they more CI project specific?
1: Um, the box score is is a tool for regular management practices and then for major improvement events you would want to sort of take a box score and say okay what's the improvement event and and sort of filter what you expect to happen or what happens in the improvement event through the box score how is it going to impact the box score so it's both but it's not you don't have a Specific box score for a specific improvement event. All
2: um, right. You mentioned uh, a minute ago that you have a webinar tomorrow on a different topic. Um, so uh, Dan says, given him a CPA, um, he'd love to find that webinar. Where can he find that from you?
1: Go to um, go to the website maskal Scroll down on the homepage to events, and you'll see the. Uh, the, the event, the tomorrow's webinar, and you can click on the event and then register.
2: Okay. Um, another question that we had was, you mentioned it's really important to get cost allocations out of the system and the box score. And so uh, one of the questions was, in something like a shared services group or something, you just hold those off in their own in their own column is what I saw. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You would again, any cost allocation is subjective. There is somebody has, you know, there's some element of subjectivity. How are we going to assign costs? Okay. You got to make, it's not scientific. And uh, so you can always argue about, well, we can change the way we allocate. So when I'm working with companies, what I always say is, who is responsible for the actual costs? What function, what department, you know that's where you have to put the costs to drive the behavior, like in even in shared services. You could do a box score in shared services. What are the actual costs and what's the performance and what's the capacity and how much waste are we eliminating? Rather than taking a shared service cost, assigning it into, for example, a value stream, and then then telling a value stream team, "Oh, you have to control that cost," they don't. They have no control over it. Okay, I get passionate about this
2: stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, cost we're coming up coming up here on the on on the time here. I think we have time for. Uh, one more question, and that's in, in your experience, do finance and quality improvement professionals have to partner to create these types of financial analysis? Um, kind of how, how does that how does that typically work out?
1: I it you the you want accounting and finance to work with the users, people that are going to be using this information. OK, they're the customers. So let's you know work together. To build box scores and analysis. And when when I'm working with a company and we're doing a, a, a lean accounting pilot, that's the first thing we do is we put the team together and the team works. and it's amazing. this is this is the interesting part about it. It's amazing how both sides learn from each other. Mm-hmm. When they start just start to sit down and talk about things like creating a value stream income statement, you know, they, it's like, oh, I never knew that number. I, I never knew this was in this cost or this was in that cost. And it's really interesting. And and you build the collaboration and consensus. That's what it's all about.
2: Uh, Mark, Oh Nick, thank you for answering our questions. Uh, Mark, you want to take it from here?
0: Yeah, well, Chris, thank you for doing the Q&A. Nick, thank you for the answers. Thanks to everyone in the audience for the questions. and. You know, thanks also for the presentation here, Nick. Today, we're going to send this out, and we appreciate everyone who attended. We make sure all of our customers um, get their eyes and ears on this presentation um, if they weren't able to uh, attend live. So, I want to thank everyone for being here again. Um, thank you to Nick Catco Congratulations on the near sec, uh, near release of the second edition of the Lean CFO. I hope people will go learn more about Nick and their work uh, on their website www dot com. nick anything you'd like to add before we sign off
1: no oh, thanks a lot i enjoyed this i enjoyed the questions and uh look forward to seeing others some of you online in the future